This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Our guest today does not require an introduction, but I am more than happy to provide him one. He is a legend in the field who promoted his first spot show for Leroy McGurk in 1972. Today, you can hear him weekly calling AEW Dynamite Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. on TNT and TSN in Canada, and the author of his latest book, Under the Black Hat, My Life in the WWE and Beyond, which is available now everywhere. A pleasure to welcome to Post Wrestling, Jim Ross. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm good, John. Good to talk to you. It is uh, great to catch up with you. You know, I would be remiss uh, not to just ask how things are going at a day-to-day basis uh, for yourself. The The whole world feels as if it's on pause right now. How are you coping with uh, the downtime right now? And is it significant downtime right now because you're headfirst into all of the promotion right now for your book? Well, yeah, that's the blessing, I think, John, this whole ordeal, this virus, is the fact that you know, even though it closed all the bookstores and didn't give me a big break there, but you know, we've got it arranged now through our website, through Amazon, Walmart.com, Target.com, all the normal sources that you can order books online so you can get it and never leave your house. So that's a, that's a blessing in that regard, but I'm doing like everybody else. You know, I'm just trying to lay low. I'm in the high risk group at 68. So, uh, I don't want to be stupid or defiant. And, uh, I'm, I'm hanging, you know, I'm watching some new TV shows. I'm, I got an outdoor kitchen, so it's not been, the weather's been okay. Uh, I've been grilled. I grilled four days last week, grilled last night. So I'm kind of enjoying that, but doing a lot of book business and, uh, and trying, I go through my Rolodex or the Rolodex, how I'm dating myself, my contact list on my phone. And I see people on there that I haven't talked to in a while. So I text them. Hey, what are you doing up for a phone call sometime or just thinking about you, whatever. So it's been really nice to kind of reconnect, use that time in a positive way, but it's no fun. Uh, but gosh almighty, I, there's worse things that we could be quote unquote sentenced with than staying in our homes. What was it a, a difficult decision for you to hear when, you know, your, your company, AEW, they're looking out for the health of its talent, the health of its performers, and knowing that this is a risk that we just don't want to be taking at, at the moment by, I'm sure, your immediate instinct from your entire career is going to work no matter what, what the means are that are out there that we have to combat. Yeah, the old wrestling things, showbiz in general, the show must go on. And gosh, I've, I've done a pay-per-view passing a kidney stone. So these are <laughs> I've had some challenges in that regard. I've been doing, I've done a paper pay-per-view with, uh, the one in England where I got Bell's palsy only here, had another attack. So I'm, I'm kind of seasoned, I guess I'm not oblivious to it, but, uh, I, I deal with it. Uh, Tony Khan called me and said, you know, I'm really worried about you flying so much. Cause when I was going to Jacksonville, right. Yeah. It was, uh, two airplanes and three airports. And here I am, you know, 68. So it's like, how many more times are going to roll this dice? So, uh, he made the decision. He said, look, you're too valuable to the company. You're too valuable to me. Uh, I couldn't stand it if you got sick as far as I caused it type thing. And so, uh, he said, let's just take you off the road for a while to this thing. Kind of, so we see the light of day or something. 
And uh, so I'm, I've got a setup here now in Norman where I can do some voiceovers, just getting that arranged. So there may be some work going forward where I can voice over a master or something. But uh, I understand what he's doing. I didn't like it at first because no one likes to measure their mortality. And, you know, if at my age, getting this damn thing, you know, there's a 30% chance you're not going to make it. So uh, I, I did not, we need to be smart, and we are. So I'm bored, but I'm happy, and I'm healthy. I would also imagine that, you know, in, in your past roles as an administrator, sometimes you do have to be able to be that person that can take that decision away from others that are going to put their own health and safety as a second priority. It's always all systems go, and sometimes that decision – it's sometimes helpful that you have to be the bad cop to make that decision because, you know, how many talents have you probably spoken to, Jim, in your career that, you know, they, they want to persist through at, at whatever risk possible. That's just how athletes and entertainers are very much wired to they're, the show always going on. Yeah, they're wired very uniquely. We all are. Our egos are sensitive and fragile and, you know, we're always looking over our shoulders. It's just silly, silly stuff. i give you a quick story. Uh, I, I was sitting in Atlanta one time and Chris Benoit had been out for quite a while with a neck injury, finally got it all diagnosed and, and exactly knew what was, what the issue was. So there was a, a technique you either went through the front of the neck for a, uh, a longer term healing. It'll be in order to get it fixed by going through the front, going through the back. You got a temporary fix and, uh, you're still off six months. The other one, you're off a year. So I told him what I wanted to do, and that was him to be off a year. And he didn't like it. He didn't want to lose his spot. He was the same wrestler uh, issues that we all know about. He, Chris is no different in that regard. But I said, look, <clears throat> you're not going to miss any paychecks. I'm going to make sure, Vince is going to make sure that you're going to get paid every single week. So it's as if you're working. We need you to be healthy, and you need to let your body heal, and we need, and you need to work with us on this. And he, he grabbed me like he was going to give me a belly-to-belly -belly suplex. And I never been squeezed so hard in my entire life because he was so relieved. He was so ha happy that he heard, finally got some good news. And I made the decision. Uh, I, well, I helped him make the decision of what we wanted to do. So, yeah, guys don't want to be taken off the line. I don't want to not be there on Wednesday nights working with Tony and Excalibur. Excalibur's even got a worse situation. He's got to be on a closed tube all the way from San Diego to wherever we're going. It's just too much risk right now for everybody to be flying around the country. I'm, I'm sorry about, you know, how that may work out for some fans, but you know, we're lucky in AEW. They, they've done a lot of work off the record, uh, you know, untalked about taping matches. We have a lot of great new content in the can. So, uh, it'll all be fresh and hopefully we'll continue to build our audience on Wednesday nights. I wish we're very appreciative. Yeah, and I, I think that that has to be a, you know, a comforting fact for all those involved. Like you can certainly, like I was not the biggest fan of all of these shows going forward just for safety concerns. But I mean, you can at least look that now with so much banked, it's it's not something where we have to be sending people out every single week. And that seems to be, you know, a measure that it's a happy medium that now for X amount of weeks, we're covered at this point. And hopefully yeah. we get our arms around this this pandemic. But you know, time, the timeline is no one knows. It's so no, difficult. No. no one knows, John. We're all speculating. It's, it's trying to predict the unknown. If we we're all really, really good at that, we'd all be living in Las Vegas. <laughs> but, but we don't. So 
It's all speculation. We, we can all still remain hopeful. Remaining hopeful is a good thing on any part of our life. Uh, you know, we've all been knocked down. You know, my, I, and I document that in, uh, in a very real, raw way uh, in uh, Under the Black Hat. So it's a, we just got to deal with this thing. And so I just try to stay as, as positive as I can. Like I said, I'm reconnected with people. I'm cooking. I go to the grocery store about twice a week. That's about it. And I'm, of course, I go to, we have a little warehouse here about four or five minutes from my house that we, uh, that we have our books and things in and all of our barbecue stuff. And so I, I signed, uh, 1350 books last week. Wow. And that was off our little website. You know, we're working on a deal to get better shipping to Canada, uh, and the UK and Australia, but it's not, it's daunting because man, the rates are extremely high. We don't make a dime off shipping, not a, not a single dime, but it's still expensive. So, uh, you just, you want your customer base to understand, Hey, look, we're not doing this to jet to gouge you. You know, I'm happy to sign your book and put in inscribe it wherever you want and ship it back to you and all that good stuff. But you know, I can't control the cost of shipping. So it's, it's been fun and, and, uh, thank goodness for, uh, for home delivery of things. So people can read the book and never leave their house. This was an incredibly uh, candid book from, from yourself. I thought that coming away from it and reading it, there was no stone left unturned. I, you really left everything out there for the readers to assess and see what you've been through the last three years. When you type that final sentence, put down the pen or your laptop at the end of this, was there a big sigh of relief of getting all of this out there? And um, because this is an, an extremely personal account of of your life much more than just a, a wrestling book by any stretch in a lot of ways it's very cathartic john you know being able to uh go back in time and understand life lessons again be reaffirmed the mistakes i've made uh how wonderful my career is how i've never been uh you know wanted to back away from saying i'm a wrestling fan uh and i and, and i've uh, just i still believe that to this very day it was cathartic. The thing that really was uh, eye-opening and challenging was the audio version. Mm-hmm. I read the audio book, and uh, I've said this before. It's a, it was the hardest performance, for the lack of a better term, performance that I've ever done. Uh, because I, I went back and relived all those moments, and there's something different about reading it and hearing it. Yeah. And uh, so here, uh, reading the uh, reading the book was an adventure. I think people are going to really enjoy it because I did a few voices. I had some fun with it. But when it was time to be serious, you heard exactly exactly how I felt in my emotions still this very day. You know, Jan's been gone since May, uh, March the 17th. It seems like yesterday. And uh, you know, I look around the house. I, I leave the house as a little thing, maybe a sign of my – uh, senility. I don't know. I leave the TV on. I leave to go to the grocery store back in normal times, leave the house for an hour or two because when I come home, I enjoy hearing noise. And oftentimes I would come home. Uh, she would be on the telephone or she'd be watching one of her favorite shows on television. There was activity. There was noise. So I, I kind of get a little bit of that, that buzz, if you will, off of that by leaving the TV on. It's just, I miss her a lot. And, uh, you know, when you lose your best friend, your lover, your mate, you know, we were together over 25 years. Uh, it's, it's hard. And, and I'd had two failed marriages 
that the wrestling business in me did not to help. Uh, my love for wrestling superseded my love of my, uh, my, my marriages. And I'm, I say that embarrassingly, but I'm just being truthful. And I, it just told me where I need to, I need to have better priorities. And, 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 but I can remember how she smelled her, her, her perfume. I remember what she was wearing and all those situations that I wrote about. So reliving those is such a, a, a coarse, real raw nature was a little bit challenging. Uh, it took me twice as long to get it done than it did the uh, sovereign knocker. Uh, and because of the subject matter with her, I would get tears in my eyes so much. I couldn't read. So I'd stop. And then some days I would, it happened two or three times. I said, I can't, I got to stop for today. And so it was hard to read it. So the audio book, I think if anybody checks it out, we'll see, they'll hear it. They'll hear exactly what I was going through, what I'm describing to you. So, uh, but it was a, it was something I needed to do. This, my story was untold. It was unfinished. And we stopped with, with Austin and Michaels at WrestleMania 15, I think it was. Then all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, we got more life to live and more adventures and the attitude era and the Monday night wars, the WWE going public the original XFL, a couple more, about or two of Bell's policy for JR, I'm leaving my post, getting removed from duty, so to speak, uh, changing brands, all these things. Right up to me leaving uh, WWE and going to AEW. So it's been a fun journey. I'm, a, I'm just still a big old, old wrestling fan, and, and I still love what I do. But the journey has been somewhat unique. I don't think anybody else in wrestling that started out with my background and not been, and being a non-wrestler uh, can uh, will have the background or the story that I'm telling here because my journey was not because I'm so smart. Or I'm a great writer. Paul O'Brien's the brains of this operation. Uh, but I, I just, it's a, it's a real story. And it's one that everybody can relate to, whether you're a wrestling fan or you're not. A buddy of mine got this book, and I'll tell I'll get you back later. I'm just going crazy here. Uh, a buddy of mine uh, got the book, and uh, he was away when the book came. Is early early on, a month or so ago. But his wife opened the box, and she started reading the book. And so when he got home, she wouldn't let him have it. until she finished it. <laughs> and, and she said it was a love story. Mm-hmm. And I never thought of that being a love story, but from a female perspective, especially not just females, but especially females, uh, talking about another woman, as I did talk about Jan was, uh, it, it touched her. So it's a unique book, John. And I'm, I'm glad you read it. Cause I really value your opinion. Oh, I uh, believe me. I, I have no reservations in saying it was, it was very emotional to read at, at different times. I was, uh, I, I actually was able to get uh, a copy early and read this on the plane over back when we could fly to Japan uh, for uh, the Tokyo Dome shows back in January. And I just, uh, I was captivated by it. And it's, it's, it's extremely, it's extremely difficult at times to read. But I really appreciate that you. Uh, we're comfortable enough to put so much of yourself out there. And I imagine that there was a, a sense of therapy in all of this for you as well to be able to uh, get it out. And for your audience that appreciates that that openness into well, what's very private, but very, very emotional. People, and, and I think the story has a, you know, even though there's a lot of heartache and a lot of realism, ups and downs, that's life. It really is life. Our, we, we're, we're none, none of us are guaranteed a great hand all the time. So it's a matter of how you deal with the hands that you're dealt, quite frankly, and simplistically. Uh, and Jan helped me to see that, do that because the job I had with the Vince 
in the talent relations side, you know, scouting and evaluating and signing and negotiating and signing all that stuff with talent was probably the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in wrestling to facilitate an opportunity for guys like, you know, our, our buddies, Edge and Christian, I signed those guys. They, we, they were, they were flyers. You know, they were not overwhelmingly top recruits, but I watched their indie work from, uh, Ontario, from Ontario throughout the, 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 the Toronto area. <clears throat> and, uh, I thought it was worth a shot cause I love their attitudes. I love their, their youth, bright eyed, bushy tail, young athletic wrestling fans. I love that. And so, uh, but they made a whopping $210 a week. Don't ask me how the 210 came about. I don't remember <laughs> that, but they made $210 a week. And I was just thinking edge on, uh, on Sunday night at WrestleMania in the, in the last man standing match of Randy Orton probably made more in that match. Not probably is uh, undoubtedly made more in uh, that match than he, than he would have made in two or three years of $210 a week. So I'm proud of those guys. They, they, they saw the way they got their Jersey. That's all I did. Throw out, pass out Jersey, so to speak. And they got in the game. And most of those kids, we were lucky that we scouted them. We understood them. We knew their motivation. We knew what they could do if they were properly motivated and they, and we could Im- improve their in ring style a little bit, a little fine tuning here and there. Cause everybody could keep learning. And, uh, now I look back and there's so many of those stories, the Chris Jericho stories, all these kids that, you know, just wanted to be stars and they wanted it really bad. And, and so we got them on our team and, and boy, they delivered all those guys did. So that's a big thing for me. And watching us watching WrestleMania or watching another wrestling show or watching old tapes, I get a source of pride in how many, how many men and women, you know, Trish Stratus is another one. I remember meeting with her in my office in Stanford vividly. And, uh, she was one of my favorites. She was a great to recruit. She was a, she was a bundle of energy. And just wanted to be great. And that's what you got to have. No matter what, John, what you do, you got to be, you want to be great at what you do. And I want to be great at what I do. And anything less than that is a bad goal in my estimation. Shoot those goals high. Cause then if you just barely miss, look where you are. You're right there at the top. Well, it sounds like the secret formula, Jim, from the examples you're throwing out here is that sign Canadians. I mean, that seems to be the, the winning, <laughs> the winning formula. Uh, no argument with me on that one, buddy. Uh, I would be remiss uh, in this book. You know, we we are never going to get the definitive story or autobiography of Vince McMahon, but your relationship with him is is heavily examined throughout this. And I think it's seeing the all the the ups and the downs, and there's there's equal amounts of both. I think that that come out in this. Um, people may focus more on the down than the up, but you clearly paint like a very broad picture of this relationship with Vince. And I found it to be the most interesting um, observation that you cited here when speaking with Kevin Dunn after you moved back to Oklahoma and Kevin stating he doesn't like to be left. How much of that move do you think impacted that relationship with Vince McMahon in the mid 2000s? Well, unfortunately, it probably accounted for more than I wish it had of. I didn't realize those, you know, I didn't realize that Vince had I knew he had multiple stepfathers, four or five, and those did not end well. And so I, I didn't take that, his feelings totally into consideration. That's my fault. A lot of the issues I had with Vince, people like OJR, well, he couldn't, you know, JR be this, he'd be great, blah, blah, blah. But the deal is, is that all these issues were not Vince's fault. I was very headstrong. I was very insecure. 
you know, a, a chubby guy with a, a Southern accent and then adding Bell's palsy on top of that three times where you can't, you got an announcer now with round cheeks and a Southern accent that can't smile. That person probably in all rights should not be on television, I guess. But I, I, I respectfully, I would, I think you proved that completely wrong, Jim, that you, I, I think a lot of people sympathize that here was the best broadcaster, the best option uh, available on your team. And I think people really looked at why is this such a struggle at times for everyone to see this, uh, specifically w one person that this comes down to. So I think that, yes, you can line out all these things, but I think you dispelled that theory. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I believe that too, but my psyche, my subconsciousness would not let it go. And so sometimes, so I was always on a little bit of an edge there. And I'm working these ridiculous hours, and I loved every hour. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes I was a handful to deal with, and I could understand Vince's lack of patience at times. I really could, and I really can now. We have a healthy relationship now. You know, he's been busier in heck with WrestleMania and all these things. He's not one just that you call and shoot the breeze with. Mm -hmm. So, uh, But I text him occasionally, and if I see something I like, I let him know because God knows I get enough negativity. That's the nature of the beast, it seems like, anymore on social media is negativity, which is unfortunate. But Vince and I had a very unique relationship. It's like I wanted the team to wear blue, and he wanted the team to wear red. And guess what color we wore? Red. And, but that's cool. He used his instincts. He did real well with his instincts over the years. So I take a lot of blame for that. But it was part of my maturation process and me fully understanding who the hell I am and what I could be and, uh, and, and, and staying positive. And, and Jan helped me with that situation. She was my voice of reason. She was always there. Every time I had a, a, a bump in a road or whatever it may be, she was there to make sure I understood that there was, there was, there was light in the tunnel, that there was, there was positive. We had a great life. I was making a tremendous living thanks to Vince. And I was doing what I love to do. I was just making it harder on myself because of my, my mental, uh, makeup. And that's just not good. So I've gotten past a lot of that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm easier to produce now. I think, uh, I enjoy, I enjoy much more going to work than I did the last few years when I was just being used sporadically, uh, not knocking that WWE whatsoever, just that I wasn't being used. I wasn't playing and old players want to play John, you know, you, you get off the ice, but you, you still think you got another skate or two left in you. And that's kind of the way I felt. I felt like I still had some gas in a tank and my, I'm on the back nine as it is. I didn't want to sit home and see it all go by when I thought I had something to offer. And uh, AEW offered me that opportunity. Was there a, a point uh, specifically in like the WWE years that you were able to find that balance where you could turn off the work side of things when you got home? Because it seems like I, I think everybody can struggle with that of being able to just uh, – flip that switch. It becomes very difficult, especially in a line of work like yours, where this is, you're on call 24 seven, uh, to be able to, to separate the two and not take the business home with you. Well, when John Laurinaitis replaced me as a head of talent relations, uh, and I was living here in Oklahoma, uh, it was a little bit, it was a little, a little bit of a lighter load. I started to stop and smell the coffee a little bit better. Uh, Jan and I loved our life here, we loved our home and being near friends and family and all that, all that stuff, which I've taken for granted, uh, for many, many years, cause all work, 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 but I was just married to the job. I, I was a little bit, uh, 
uh, I was a little bit gung ho <laughs> to say the least. And, uh, but, but when I, when I stopped having to manage the roster and having to take everybody's call every day over something, the middle seat and coach, or, you know, the hotel didn't have my reservation. I became a travel agent and a father confessor and a coach and a friend and a mentor. There's a lot of hats in that job if you do it right. And, uh, but the main thing is you always have to be there for your talent. I remember Luna Bashan called me, called my house one night about one in the morning, God bless her. And, uh, and she was a handful, but boy, she was fun to be around. And she called and Jan answered the phone with four cell phones. And she said, uh, you got to, you know, I knew she said, you got to call honey. I said, I know. I'm sure I do. Who is it? It's Luna. I said, oh my goodness. <laughs> so I hop out of bed and go in the living room and, and get on the phone with Luna. And she had to explain to me why she couldn't come to work because she had a toothache. So she said, what should I do? I said, very simply, you should go to the dentist. <laughs> oh, okay. I will. That's all she wanted to hear. Luna, you're not in trouble. I understand. Just go to the dentist, get a, get an appointment with the dentist as soon as you can. So you can address this problem and stop this pain because you didn't want, you didn't want anybody to have a lingering issue, John, that required pain medication. You just didn't. And, uh, and, and so little things like that, but you, if you, if I didn't answer the phone and she didn't get an answer that night when she thought it was necessary at one in the morning, then, uh, she would, she would, she would have not been in the best state of mind. And so it was our job to keep them in the best state of mind that we could be supportive and all those things. So, but when I lost that job or moved to another position, uh, a lot of that pressure obviously was, was, uh, alleviated. Now that you've had uh, about a year since you joined with AEW and you can, you know, look at some of the parallels, some of the differences, how would you kind of look at some of the leadership qualities of Tony Khan and seeing him, you know, pushing forward with this brand new company and getting to see firsthand uh, from your years of experience, like what Tony Khan has been able to display in terms of a leader at a relatively young age that that's running this thing? Well, I met Tony for the first time with Alex Marvez, our mutual friend and a serious XM NFL uh, analyst uh, in uh, Long Beach. They came out uh, uh, to Long Beach to see the doubleheader weekend or the two-day shows with New Japan back in the day with Access TV. And so they stayed at the same hotel. No, they didn't. They, they might have stayed at the hotel. Tony's got a place in L.A. Nonetheless, uh, we hung out at the hotel the night before the shows. And Alex introduced me to Tony, and I was absolutely amazed at how intelligent this non-wrestling person was about the intricacies and the psychology of the wrestling business. It was astonishing. He was like he was a savant, like he was a rain man or something. You know, he was just absolutely amazing. And he was quoting things I said in matches that occurred before he was even born. So he, had, he was a real student of the game. You know, uh, he, he always was a fan of my work, which I, I dearly appreciate, but I knew this kid had something special but at that time. We didn't talk about him starting a wrestling company. He just wanted to talk about wrestling in general. And then, uh, again, going to the show on the Saturday night show there in long beach, then seeing him after the show, analyzing the show, you could tell he really paid attention and he wasn't just a, a, a fan fan. He was just was a casual guy. He knew the intricacies of what was going on. So I knew that he was a special guy. And then when, uh, the word got out that he was thinking about starting his own company, you know, my agent, uh, 
and, and Tony made contact because Barry Bloom is my agent. He also has, uh, 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 who else? He has, uh, Jericho and he's got, uh, well, the our company, Jericho, me and Kenny, Kenny Omega. I think Barry Bloom has a book in him one day down the road. I mean, that guy has got some tales. Yeah, you'd think so. I agree. Uh, and you know, he just still has Mick Foley and Goldberg and I think he just works with Paul Heyman. And so he's got a good client list. Uh, so Barry, uh, got with me and said, Hey, there's, or would you be interested in, uh, cause we had talked about my contract at WWE and, and, and I had decided, look, I'm not being used. It's just like a, uh, a retirement check. And I was financially okay. And I wanted to work more than I wanted to make that extra money and stay home. I didn't want to stay home. That was the whole deal. I didn't want to stay home. I'm by myself. I'm an empty nester. I didn't, it was, I was lonely. I missed my work. I missed the people. I missed the fans. So, uh, I said, yeah, I would I, I think about it. I said, cause I don't want to negotiate. I don't want to get into another negotiation process with the WWE because I know how I'm going to be used. I get it. I understand it. Do I like it? Not really, but is it the end of the world? No, it's not the end of the world. Uh, so, uh, I was going to just do some other stuff, podcasting, which our podcast now with Conrad Thompson, grilling JR on Thursdays is doing very, very well. Thank God. Uh, I had, I knew I had another book or two in me. Uh, still think that. So, uh, I had plenty of projects I could do. These little one man shows I've done that you work with me on. You know, I, I love doing those, the live interaction, the ad libbing and the extemporaneous stuff. So, uh, I just kind of let it go, you know, but then, then my contract came up in, uh, end of March of 2019. And, uh, I, Vince and I communicated, look, it's just, you know, I, I had a great run there. I'm very appreciative of everything you've done, but I don't, I don't think we should even negotiate because I really don't want to be a part-time guy or just get a token, you know, get a, a, a check because I'm old and I was there 26 years. I want to work. And so, uh, that's how we worked out and he understood he's fully supportive and I don't know how supportive he is now. Cause I haven't asked him about it. I don't need his permission or his blessing or nor does he need mine, but he was happy for that. I found a, a, a gig that was very lucrative and which is always nice, but I got to go back to work and working on weekly TV. I think a lot of people thought that AEW would just be a, a blip on a screen and we would just be a, another guy, another company. That's using a the the owner's deep pockets to fund a a, a, a passion and uh, and not a business. This is a business, and Tony Khan is a brilliant businessman. And somebody said to me, "What are you going to do when McMahon comes in and buys up all your talent?" I said, "Well, if you look at the uh, you can Google this, but Vince's net worth is a little over two billion, a lot of money. The Khan's net worth is a little over eight billion, so I think we're okay there." <laughs> Um, I'll wind down here, but, um, you know, coming out of WrestleMania this past weekend, uh, pretty much the, the most talked about elements of, of both nights were the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse segments. And I'm curious for you, especially seeing where pro wrestling is, you know, in un- uncharted territory at this time in terms of what they are going to put out there and the response level from the audience that for these segments has been largely positive. If you were to be asked about AEW experimenting with more of this uh, with, with Matt Hardy and such, uh, what would kind of your takeaway be from this weekend and how best to serve the wrestling audience with this uh, untraditional style of content? Well, considering that Matt Hardy was a guy that innovated uh, that exact presentation mm-hmm. alongside Jeremy Borash, who was also involved, I'm told, in the uh, Boneyard 
business, uh, I'd say I'd be all for it because between a guy like uh, Matt Hardy and a guy like Chris Jericho uh, being able to call their own plays, John Moxley, they have they have broken that former WWE mold where you're very heavily produced more often than not. Uh, and so there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. You know, we don't have any writers in AEW. Uh, there's no memorized promos. Uh, none of that stuff. Uh, it's all, it could be a blessing and a curse too, by the way, John. Uh, but we have a lot of guys that can talk mm-hmm. and, uh, and we're going to see that that as time goes on even more prevalently, but, uh, I, I don't, I don't have any, uh, would have any qualms. I thought the, 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 uh, boneyard match with undertaker and AJ styles was absolutely amazing. And I loved it. And it may be an indication of where WWE is going in the future with some things. Uh, or not, because you can control the environment. Uh, it's a unique situation and they put us in a boneyard where we didn't expect to have a crowd. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a, it was a movie type situation. I liked it better than the firefly Funhouse, but I will say this, the firefly Funhouse was so, uh, creative. I think that to, to really appreciate it, a person will need to watch it more than one time and see all the little nuances that we may have missed. It's like I used to say about watching the Sopranos. The second time you watch an episode, it's a little bit better because you missed some dialogue on the first go around, uh, you know, for whatever reason. So, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't, we don't do some things like that. We've got the guy that invented it. So and Matt Hardy. So I think we should use great bookers and Tony Khan is a great booker. Great bookers recognize what talents do well. And that's what they point them to. They find out what the talents do not do well. And they stay away from that entirely as best they can. And I think Tony's got that uh, down pad. And, but the thing is he lets the wrestlers have an input. He, they buy in, they contribute to their stories. You know, Jericho didn't have a wealth of producers when he, he did that thing in his hot tub in his backyard with a drone and all that stuff. That was Chris's idea. So it was, uh, talents are encouraged to create content. And these guys that came from other promotions who weren't allowed that opportunity as freely as they foresee they should are getting that opportunity with AEW. And I think it shows in their performances. And my final thing would just be looking at kind of what you've learned yourself in this year with AEW. You recently had talked about Orange Cassidy and what your initial impression was versus seeing it in an arena setting, getting over to, to an enormous degree as well. Um, how are you viewing today's wrestling product uh, differently just from seeing uh, some of these younger performers and seeing a lot of this in execution? Because it's it's a, a greatly evolving uh, stage that I feel we're in with professional wrestling right now where some stuff works, some stuff does not work. But it's this interesting experimental phase to see firsthand. I, uh, if I were so old and stuck in my ways as some people uh, perceive – I probably wouldn't like it because I'm a wrestling guy. That's why I, that may be why I like the boneyard match better than I like the firefight funhouse because of the, the physicality, ongoing physicality, the story being told of the Clint Eastwood like undertaker mm-hmm. and, and the, uh, the amazing AJ styles. who's just as good as anybody in the world has been for a long time. Uh, but yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know, man. I, 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 I like the, the sizzle more than a lot of my peers do of my age group, but I still am a state guy. And I still believe that the, the undertaker's match 
provided me more steak than the Firefly Funhouse. But that doesn't mean I didn't like the Firefly Funhouse. I just think it's so has so many, so many nuances, and to, you may need to watch it the second time, as I mentioned, uh, to fully understand and appreciate the creativity of it, which is phenomenal. But I, I still think it, we're back to basics in a lot of ways, meaning athletic-oriented uh, contests uh, where things are logical. There's a story being told. There's a rhyme and a reason for what I'm seeing. And we still have some guys that work real quick. They don't let us process what the great things that they do sometimes. So they've got to slow down a gear. But a lot of these young guys, that's the kiss of death for them. They're, some of them are afraid to slow down. They don't trust their own skill set enough to slow it down a little bit and allow me to process what they are doing. And, uh, but we're getting lots better at that, I think. And I love this roster, John. They're just, it, it, it renewed my faith in the business more because I, I got back in it. It was wonderful to be able to mentor these kids. Uh, I just love the atmosphere that we have, the energy, the enthusiasm. And quite frankly, it starts at the top. You know, Tony's young. He's brilliant. Uh, he loves what he's doing. And Lord knows he's got a full plate. He's got an, he's got an NFL draft to get ready for with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's got a football club in England, the Fulham Club. He's got a lot on his plate. But somehow – he gets it done, and I'm, I enjoy every time I'm with him, and uh, I look forward to a lot. I told him the other day, I said, I, I don't want to prophesize nothing, but I hope this is my last job. I'm 68. I got a three-year deal. My buddy said, the other day, what the hell are you going to do when your contract's up? I said, well, if I'm smart, I'm going to try to get a renewal. <laughs> <laughs> but if not, I'm going to go out on a, with a, on a positive note and uh, loving this, this opportunity here at this stage of my life. I, it can't be better, and, and thank God people are liking uh, Under the Black Hat as well. Well, I encourage people to check it out, Under the Black Hat, My Life in the WWE and Beyond. It's available at bookstores everywhere and uh, digitally as well. If you're at home, uh, no excuse not to grab a book right now on your Kindle or whatever uh, reading device you might have. Of course, Jim can be heard Wednesday nights, 8 Eastern on TNT and TSN with AEW Dynamite, as well as Thursdays with Conrad Thompson on Grilling JR. Jim, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your schedule to chat with us. It was great to catch up with you. And congratulations on the book. I, I really enjoyed this. It's a very, it, it's uh, a, a book that it's a very, very uh, personal story, but, you know, a, a lot of lighter topics as well throughout this as well that I recommend it to those out there. I appreciate you, John, very much. I have for years. Uh, congratulations on your success and for remaining objective and smart in your reporting. Uh, you have great integrity, and that's something that uh, should not be overlooked. So I appreciate your time, and anytime I can help you, I'm here to do it. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.